Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. Later in the programme, I'm out and about with David Bellis of history website Gwulo.com as we head to May Road on Hong Kong Island and have a look at the view before popping on the peak tram. But first, I'm off to see Jonathan Wattis of Wattis Fine Art on Hollywood Road to talk about the photographer Mi Chang, his studio, the regular tourist shots he took for postcards at the turn of the 20th century, but also the less well-known side he showed of Hong Kong Island. It's an album of photographs of Hong Kong at the front and then there's about 20 photographs of uh, Canton at the end. It's mostly Shamian Island in Canton. The photographs are particularly interesting because it's like a documentary of Hong Kong views in 1912 or thereabouts. And we can tell because of the architecture. And he covers a wide range of the city with some rather beautiful views. Do we know who Mi Cheng was? Well, this is another question of detective work, and we're trying to add to this. Yesterday, I was in correspondence with somebody in England who's a publisher who offered me an album of the celebrations for Queen Victoria's Jubilee in 1897. And it's essentially a series of uh, the Dragon Dance through Central and predominantly Queen's Road. And so the whole album of about 45 photographs is nearly all about the Dragon Dance. And it's an extraordinary thing. And I'm hoping I will be able to acquire it because uh, it's such an interesting thing on Hong Kong and dragon dance a very long dragon but along with this in the front of the album was a tipped in uh, label this says Mi Chung photographer ice house top floor Hong Kong so what we can tell from this label is that in 1897 Mi Chung the photographer had a studio at the top of the ice house which was at the junction of Queens Road and ice house street and uh, the Ice House, I think, had been there since the 1850s, 1860s. And somehow, Mi Chung got to have a studio on the top floor of the Ice House. So that's quite an interesting address. Ice House, top floor, Hong Kong. That's it. So we know that he's working in the 1890s as a photographer on the junction of Queen's Road and Ice House Street. What we also know about him is that in 1908, he's involved uh, with helping produce one of the most beautiful early books on Hong Kong, which is called 20th Century Impressions of Hong Kong, Shanghai and other treaty ports of China. This is beautiful. You've got a, a copy here, 1908, and uh, it's got uh, the lowdown on all the Hong Kong industries of that time, so all the businesses. Yes, it does, and in many cases it has a number of the employers named in it as well. So from this we discover that Mi Chung was involved with providing photographs for most of it and also helping with the production on the Hong Kong end. And we also discover there's a little bio on the company, which is Mi Chung & Co., so we discover from this that in the early 1900s, Mi Chung set up a company called Mi Chung & Co. And they were photo suppliers and they were based in the Beaconsfield Arcade, which was a building opposite uh, the Hong Kong Bank on, on the Queen's Road. Now you've got a picture of the Beaconsfield Arcade there. It's quite a sumptuous building. Yes, it was a, it was a beautiful building. Um, I believe it was built by Belilios, who was one of the big trading businessmen in Hong Kong in, in the 1880s. And it was opposite the bank and opposite Dent's Fountain. So these were landmarks in the centre of Hong Kong at the late 19th and early 20th century. So when people now say, I'll meet you by Starbucks, in that era, they'd have said, I'll meet you by Dent's Fountain. Exactly. 
Yes, one of the most prominent landmarks in the whole of Central. But also, the actual Beaconsfield Arcade would have been one of the state-of-the-art office blocks at the time, one of the most prestigious, if you like, a, a kind of landmark or IFC-type building of its time. So when it said arcade, would there have been offices or would there also have been shops in there? There would have been shops and offices. On the ground floor, you can see from the picture in this book, you, you've got Michung Co. photo suppliers with uh, a shop on the ground floor and an arcade um, that ran basically a covered walkway. You can see the shop front and all these labels saying what they do. And I believe by 1908, by the time this book was published, there was a staff of about 30 people working for Michung and Co. They were professionals in providing photo supplies, but they also um, helped people produce their own albums. So this, what this does do is later on it can lead to some issues with identifying things because they would have helped by developing photographs and also putting things into albums for people, providing all the, the, the requirements for that. But they were certainly the biggest photo suppliers of their time. Um, but where it becomes difficult is later on, people might have taken their own photographs and put them into Michung albums. So you can say, you know, attributed to Michung or possibly developed in the Michung studios. So th 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 there are slightly difficult um, issues with, with actually pinpointing Pete Michung as the photographer. Certainly by this time, there were other photographers working for Michung. Take us back to that point, um, obviously with the technology that would have been available there. If I was to go into Beaconsfield Arcade and I wanted to go to the studio, if I wanted a portrait shot or I wanted help with an album, how would it have been set up? Would they have had dark rooms at the back? I would think they would. I haven't got an interior picture of it, but that hopefully is something that will appear one day and we'll see how it works. You had probably the big box cameras at this time, but they were also selling cameras, so they were probably also selling some of the, the, the state-of-the-art new hand-held cameras as well. And I, I imagine when panoramic cameras came to Hong Kong, and I think that's in the 1910s, they were probably selling those as well. But um, all this information is, is somewhere to be found, and I can't prove it, but a sense of it happening. But if I wanted to go to the Beaconsfield Arcade and get a portrait of me and me and my cat, how long would it have taken to do in those days? Yeah, good question. I imagine they would have you in for a sitting and that might take a, an hour or so because they would have a, a room with a, a big box camera and a, a blanket that went over the head of the photographer, but he'd have to set you up with some kind of staged background. And how so, long would I have to keep still? You probably had to keep still uh, for a minute or so. They probably wanted to have exposure for a minute or so, but uh, probably possibly even 30 seconds, but they, they can produce better photographs. But you would have to keep still for a while in those days. But also the backdrop. And, and then sometimes with these early photographic studio shots in Hong Kong, you can identify a photograph because of the, the floor or the particular wallpaper or the, the style of draping. So I've, I've seen various photographic backdrops in, in Hong Kong by different photographers over the years, but I, I can't identify a, a Michong backdrop yet, but maybe in time. Returning to your album from 1912, was that a, a kind of holiday album? Would that have been somebody who stayed in Hong Kong? I don't think so. I think this is a bit more serious than that. The Holiday album tends to have more personalised photographs. This one has more, if you like, documentary photographs. Within the album, there are various views. So there's a, there's a well-known picture of Queen's College. Which, and where was that? That was on Aberdeen Street, sometimes called Victoria College, I believe. And, and this is from the early 20th century. So if you Google that on the internet, you will see, in Wikipedia, you will see this picture is in the Wikipedia 
section where they talk about the history of the college uh, because it had an association with with Sun Yat-sen, who also attended this college at an early time when it was on Gough Street. But it went from Gough Street to Aberdeen Street, and that's the location of PMQ. Well, it's a design centre, preserved police married quarters on Hollywood Road, Aberdeen Street corner. And above this is the university as a brand-new building, and that would have been taken in 1912. And it has the Hong Kong University photo by Mi Chung. So there it actually says Mi Chung took the photograph. So there seem to be a number of pictures around that say that Mi Chung took the photograph. So what I think is the case was that he had his photographic studio and was a photographer in his own right, did certain photographs. And then he also did was successful. So he also had this Mi Chung and Co photo supplies. So he had the, the two things going on, bit of an entrepreneur, a businessman. I believe a lot of the photographs in here may have been taken by him this is the only one that is actually signed in the plate by him yeah we've got here a junk with the sail up um in victoria harbour perhaps um you've then definitely got in victoria harbour a star ferry with the the big black smoke coming out of the funnel and then i very much enjoy the ones on the right is 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 actually a tram coming along which the tram of course would have only been set up eight years earlier in 1904 um you've got uh, and then uh, a rickshaw alongside and, and and a number of rickshaws below but uh, what i always notice about those early photos is a sense of space Yes, absolutely, because you're not uh, cramped by the high rise. So, so you can see the vistas, you can see the views, you, you've got the, 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 the wonderful you know, mountainous background. What I also enjoy looking at these photographs, which I felt before, uh, a number of the John Thompson ones, which are taken um, somewhat earlier in the 19th century, is just on black and white, you just get such, so much light and shadow. Yes, it's a beautiful medium, black and white. Colour photograph can add other dimensions to it, but black and white is very sharp and has a lot of atmosphere and works very well with this with these architecture as well. What's this street here? Because of the height of the buildings, I would think it's possibly Queen's Road. But it's certainly an unusual part of Queen's Road. Mi Chung being a, a, a Chinese photographer, he would have taken photographs also in, in the Western District, which is really nice, because a lot of the commercial photographers in the late 19th, early 20th century were producing photographs for the Western market. So they were like tourist pictures of the more central areas of Hong Kong. But he goes into many uh, other places, which, which are really interesting. So yes. Oh, you've got people. Lots of different people shots. Children, people in markets. Um, those are the various peak ones. This I was is going to say, he's also just back there, he had the one of the, what would have been the Supreme Court is the court again, and in the, in the interim was, of course, the Legislative Council, also built or finished in 1912. Indeed, yes. So that, that's another indicator that helps us date this, because it looks like a brand-new building. Here's another one which shows the Hautak Wharf with a ferry. I think that's a Canton ferry. And many, many, many people getting off or getting on the ferry. Oh, people with their legs in the stocks here. There's a, one with a Sikh policeman and uh, two people with uh, queues um, at the back. So male uh, Chinese with queues at the back and their legs are in the stocks. Yes, that and the one above with the policeman in front of the Supreme Court were probably commercial stock that was sold in the Mi Chung Studios in, in Beaconsfield Arcade. So you could probably buy these to put in your albums. And I imagine these, because of their subject, were, were quite popular sellers for people to take as souvenirs. Yeah, I doubt the people in the stocks got any royalties, though, did they? 
but I suspect that they may well it may oh, well be, might a, be models. It may be a setup. Oh. Yes, I often think these are setup shots. They wouldn't get very well paid, but um, I'm sure they would sell lots of postcards because people want to ogle them over overseas. <laughs> and then all sorts of uh, pictures of batwing junks and various problems. And here's a boat race in the harbour with these yachts. It does give a definite snapshot of of, of that time period. I mean, as I say, the, the, the Hong Kong long gone in terms of the balustrades, the balconies, the verandas, the, the type of style of buildings, and, of course, the fact that they are only often three stories. Yes, and the other thing to add to that is that Michung documents the Chinese side of town. So here we have the waterfront, which would be over towards Kennedy Town or Western area, and it's got all these Chinese companies with all the cal calligraphic names in front of each office, and it would be the go-downs and offices of the Chinese trading companies, and that, that's really interesting documentation. It's quite hard to find early pictures of this part of town. I'm talking with Jonathan Wattis of Wattis Fine Art here on the corner of Hollywood Road. And uh, in front of us, we've got an album from 1912 of the photographer Mi Cheng. He later becomes Mi Cheng and Company. Uh, we've got a, also a very sumptuous book from 1908 that documents Hong Kong, Shanghai and the treaty ports. And Mi Cheng appears in that. Uh, Mi Cheng and Company carried on, though. They did. Uh, and I have uh, here some other albums... One, one is a 1920, circa 1927 album called A Pictorial Record of Hong Kong. And then I have another one which is from the 1950s. It's 1955 to 1957 and it is a, a Hong Kong racing history and it looks like Mi Chung Studio, which they had become at some point, and this is 1954 to 1957 and they, these are panoramic shots of the finishing line at Happy Valley and what it does is it identifies the winners of all the races between 54 and 57 crossing the line and uh, there's a little white box on top which says Mi Chung Studio Ice House Street Hong Kong and it has the dates so you, you can, you've, got, you've got a racing history here. And which then the horses are named underneath. And the they? horses are named underneath and inside this is a personalised album here for possibly a, a jockey because it has all sorts of um, other format pictures of horses being led and, and people celebrating victories and, and Chinese captions and it, it, it's very interesting but the panoramas each of the panoramic finishes were done by Mi Chung Studio up till May 1956 when it was taken over by Ming Yun Studio of Six Queens Road so I don't know whether Mi Chung stopped operating in uh, 1956 or just lost the contract for doing the uh, the shot from the finishing line but uh, I suspect that might be close to the end of Mi Chung but we, we now have an early reference to him in 1897 and we have a later reference to uh, 1956 so that's as far as we've got with the research. So you're going to carry on with your detective work? I hope so, yes. So when's the next tram, David? I was going to say that you wait forever and the three come along at once, but if that happens, we're in trouble. <laughs> so how does a funicular work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can use that word on family radio, can you? I like saying funicular. Now, we're standing in May Road. Unfortunately, there's a little bit more traffic than there. She's standing next to May Road. We're standing next to May Road because otherwise we'd be getting run over. There's uh, a lot more traffic along here than there ever would have been, which is a bit of a shame, really. But it's a, it's a great corner, in a way, to, to come or, or bend because uh, you've got the funicular railway, you've got the uh, Hong Kong tramway built in 1888 here, um, so some steep steps up. You've also got a pathway that David Bellis of Gwulo.com is going to be talking about in a moment, well worth the walk. And 
just through the trees there you've got a, a bit of the harbour but uh, you know blocked by a few buildings but would have been a wonderful view some years ago so David here at May Road you've got uh, some very interesting photos that you're about to show me of how people used to get up here in the old days <laughs> that's right the, the reason I've chosen this spot is it's a, always been a popular spot for commercial photographers to come and take pictures for sale to tourists, so we get different views of it over the years. And this little couple of photos, they are, you can see the writing on the back is the same. So they're postcards. Someone's come out to Hong Kong, and he's written his notes on the back for his family, I guess, when he's gone back home. Hasn't mailed them, so these would have been carried back with him. One of them is a picture of a sedan chair, the colonial gentleman with his pith helmet, and then two people... Obviously, carrying the the sedan chair, so that's how you would have got up the hill in the olden days. I like the way that the guy at the back is having a look at the camera. He is, isn't he? He's thinking I'm famous. And the other picture is the one that we're more interested in from here. It's called Harbour View, Hong Kong. Whoever bought it, put a little X on and an arrow. It says London, six thousand five hundred miles. The boy marked with the cross is the one where we're lying off Kowloon Peninsula, where the Kowloon Canton Railway starts. You can get from there to Calais by rail. We can see a, a very grand building on the left. No sign of that today. That was where Mr. Belilios lived. That was his house. He pops up from time to time as being the famous camel owner up on the peak. So around uh, 1888, oh, funnily enough, when the, when the tram arrived, he brought his camel here from Peking. It died in 1897. Unfortunately, it sort of took a, a leap off a high place, and that was the end of him. But the newspaper report says, Many a youngster in the colony will learn with sincere regret of the death of the dromedary which has been one of the features of social life at the peak for several years. The dromedary belonged to the honorary Mr. Belilios and was a great favourite with the youngsters attending garden parties at his eyrie. So what else have we got to see? Well, we can look down and get a date for the picture because we can see the Helena May. And if we zoom in or use our magnifying glass here, it's got scaffolding on the left-hand side. So when it was originally built, it was sort of a, a symmetrical building and then before long they expanded with this wing on the left and that opened in 1922 so this is a a view down in the 1920s so may road who's that named after well that was after uh, mr francis henry may he was governor and you'd think perhaps it was named because he was governor but the road was built around 1907 and he wasn't governor until a bit later 1912 but even by then he'd already had a very uh, important career here in hong kong he'd come out as a hong kong cadet and then he'd been the head of the police force head of the prisons um, colonial secretary, I think, was another of his titles. So he'd, he'd done all of the sort of senior posts in government before eventually coming back as, as governor. And, the, of course, Helena May was his wife. And Exactly, and that's the other co connection to the family, Helena May. Now, over from the Helena May, we can see a little collection of buildings. They'll pop up again in the, the story a bit later. We've got the towers of St. Joseph's in the background, and that was originally built as Club Germania. But in 1914, all the German property was confiscated as enemy alien property. Is that right? Mm. So all of the, the company's buildings and also this big club for the German-speaking community. The German-speaking community was a big part of business life here. And that, that all got, uh, got sold off. Oh, here comes the tram. Here comes the tram. Then we've got the spire of the Union Church. And that's had a funny history because it's, it's sort of a recycled church. What else have we got? Just oh, we've got another tram, David. <laughs> there are going to be three trams. <laughs> and the other little building between them is St George's building. See why that's important a little bit later. So let's look at the next couple of photos. 
Now, let's put a date on this picture. So a very similar view, but we can see over the harbour, the Peninsula Hotel is there. And if we look really closely, it's got a very blotchy appearance. And that's because during the Japanese occupation, they camouflage painted it. You'll see the clock tower was camouflage painted. The wharf buildings along there were all camouflage painted as well. And I, and I think it's a, a triumph of of hope over any practical thing because if you think if you're flying a bomber and you're flying down the Kowloon Peninsula it's such an obvious shape a little bit of camouflage paint's not going to do any help at all but anyway that's what they did um, over on the right here as well we've got a big floating dry dock that's something that the the British brought in at the end of the war so it's a just after the war about 1946 this picture and if we look down at the foreground here we've got two of the buildings we talked about St George House it's just a sort of a, a burnt wreck. It must have been hit by a bomb, I would imagine. That was bought by the Freemasons, and that's where Zetland Lodge stands now. All right. So Zetland Lodge, the older one, was also hit by an American bomb and destroyed during World War II, and so they rebuilt the new Zetland Lodge over at this site. Just up the hill from that is an empty patch of ground, and that's where the old Union Church used to be. So when the members of Union Church went into internment in early 42, their church was still there. When they were liberated in 45, they rushed back to see what was left. And there was just a little pile of stones and the three plaques that had been on the wall. And the building had vanished. And the belief is that the material was taken and used as part of the remodeling of, of Government House. So the old Union Church is somehow now part of the new government house. And so the, the church has had to be recycled and rebuilt. Over on the other side of the road is a set of rather posh garages. They're lovely, aren't they? It's called Gladden now, number three May Road. So when they opened up May Road, it would be about 1907, I guess... So it would have been just a pedestrian walkway before that? Um, well, it was a new road, so the, the way they worked would be you'd... You'd have the cost of building a new road and the government would expect to get it back from then selling the new building plots that were, were made available. But I guess when they were designing roads and houses in 1907, the motor car wasn't a, wasn't a thing you thought about. So you had all these houses built and then later on there was, well, where are we going to put our cars? And so they built this. This was built 1929-30. It was built as a, a garage for motor cars and then the chauffeurs lived up, upstairs and you can see the, the little building still there now. Oh, here we go. Here's the explanation. Due to a road expansion scheme from Bowen Road to May Road, the government considered it was necessary to build garages to accommodate cars which were owned by the nearby residents. Now, one of the garages and chauffeur's quarters was converted into a penthouse apartment in 1946. They did live at it differently in those days, didn't they? Very differently, <laughs> yes. If you read the old stories of, of people, I think even into the 40s and 50s, what would be a very sort of lowly civil service rank back in Britain. You lived a very grand life if you, if you came out here. Now, it's a, a nice spot to walk past, and you can come up here as part of the central trail. It's a nice way to get up to the peak. So you start off by the lower peak tram terminus, and the, it's signposted. It'll, so next to the Helena May? Or? Yep, just down underneath the Helena May. You want to be on the left side of the tram tracks looking up, and then you'll follow tramway path up, and then you'll come up. Bruin Path and you'll come out onto May Road just where we are now. Cross over head over towards the garages and then you can see the signpost there Central Trail, it'll take you up Chatham Path. The first section's a bit steep up until as far as May Road 
But if you can make it up to here, Chatham Path's a nice, windy, quite gentle path um, heading up. If you go up there, a couple of things to look for. About halfway up on the right, you'll see a path goes horizontally across the hillside, and there's a little shrine or temple down there. It's worth just taking a little excursion down there and then just before you get to Barker Road there's a very imposing wall with a tennis court on top and the story is that when they built the Victoria Flats on the opposite side of Barker Road which is still there today they had to carve out the hillside and the, the public works report from there says that we're digging out the hill and we had all this earth and it was thought cheaper if we built a wall put the earth behind the wall and put a tennis court on top <laughs> and I, I think when you look at the amount of work that must have gone into building that wall you know they're not fooling anyone obviously some government person who lived up there fancied a game of tennis and <laughs> this is how they got their tennis court but anyway the tennis court's still there and victoria flats are still there too now there's a bit of a controversy going on well i don't think anybody else is regarding it as a controversy bar me i think it's highly controversial that uh, of course hong kong tramway has been around since 1888 we're standing right by it we've watched two go by uh, in opposite directions and um now what I, was very interesting to me is the company, yeah, the tramways company, has just asked the government, oh, can we have another 10 years, which always startles me a little bit with a transport system that's been like forever. <laughs> um, and, um, but, and LegCo just went, yes, that's absolutely fine, to make them bigger. So they're actually going to have longer trams. What do you think about that? Yeah, I didn't even know about that. Exactly. It just sort of, it just went by. I just sort of either read it or saw it in a news bulletin and it was, the, the LegCo had already dotted the I's on that. You know, oh, we're nice. going to have longer trams. And I, I don't know, I, I struggle with change. Well, I figure you can't make them double-decker. That's not going to be an option, <laughs> is it? Well, where we're standing here on May Road, there is... A tram station. You know, this was one of the, the commuter stops. Of course, nobody uses it today. Should we just go up there and wave? I've no idea what happens. <laughs> go down on the tram if you want. If you're feeling brave, I guess it'll stop. Do you want to try and go down on the tram? I don't know whether it'll stop. It's a tram station. They told the taxi driver. <laughs> well, we've just got on the tram, so it does stop at May Road. You just press a button, and uh, it's uh, just a green light. And uh, we've just got a few people on here. Uh, but gosh, it's, it's really steep to get in, isn't it? We must be at what, 35, 40 degrees. It's very, <laughs> very disconcerting. <laughs> oh, but this is a bit of a treat. I wasn't expecting this. I thought you just had to... That does education for me, that you can actually get on. So there's a picture of Francis Henry May here. Yes, just up on the station there, a little panel with some history about him. It's nice to see. Not uh, not great value for money. There's $28 from <laughs> May Road down to, to the terminus, but never mind. All part of the fun. This bridge is lovely. It's been extended several times. You can see the multiple arches going over the road here. It's just around Bowen Road. So here we are, back down by the Union Church again. And then we've got the bridge over Kennedy Road. And then Zetland Lodge just on the right. Yeah, so we're now actually stopping at Kennedy Road. Oh, somebody didn't just press the button and run off, do you think? Does it mean someone's getting on at Barker Road, I wonder? No, there's the Barker Road tram uh, stop. Because yeah. all that balance thing, isn't it? That'd be a bit silly, though. You'd only be going from Barker Road up to the, the peak. It'd be another very expensive $28. I love all the foliage along here, too. It's really green and leafy, isn't it? And just on the right here, there's this little old building. It looks very old and interesting. It's got the round porthole windows going up the side here. 
quite sure what that one is or how old it is. I rather like travelling on a transport system that's been around since 1888. It's sort of like Hong Kong steam train. Some lovely pictures and models down here as well of the history. Well, thank you very much, David. That was really interesting, and I enjoyed our tram trip at the end. Very good. Always a pleasure. <laughs> that was a bit of a treat that I wasn't expecting. A short trip on the Peak Tram, part of our landscape since 1888. My thanks to David Bellis of Hong Kong history website Guolo.com and Jonathan Wattis of What Is Fine Art. Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>